there, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the AJ Roberts Show. Today, I've got my very good friend, Nina Ork, joining us. Uh, Nina is an advocate uh, for basically raising the awareness against honour killings, uh, not just in the UK, but around the world. Me and Nina did a podcast ages ago now, uh, but like things have really ramped up. The awareness has ramped up, so I wanted Nina to come and share with you guys today all the work that she's doing, but also the awareness levels that have been raised since, just since that interview and the things that we're now seeing coming out in the press, uh, I think it's important to get this like uh, this message out there so we really understand the, you know, the sheer implications of all this. Nina, welcome to uh, the studio. Thank you. It's amazing. Nice studio. <laughs> um, so just for a bit of context for the listeners and viewers, um, like, what, where does your story come from for you to like, be here now advocating in the way you do? Yeah, so I'm a British-born Asian and... My parents came over in the 60s as immigrants, and I always say that they brought their mindsets, their idealisms of how life should be with them, um, and that's what they imposed upon me as a girl. Right. Yeah. And like, is it a common thing? Because, I mean, for the average everyday British person, it's not something that you like to see in the news and stuff like that, and, no. uh, well, for obvious reasons. Is it, is, it, is it more common than what you think? Well... I'm an advocate, I'm an activist for honour killings. I speak against honour killings and human trafficking. Um, when a girl is born into an Indian family or something that's a very similar culture like the Middle East, Asia or Africa, girls are not celebrated at all. When boys are born, they give out sweets. They go to people's houses and they give little boxes of sweets as a celebration and often money and gold to the sisters and families um, of, the, of the father. But when a girl's born, nobody will come and visit. If they do come and visit, there's a very solemn sort of ambience about it. Mm. So girls are just not celebrated because they're not wanted. I was born, obviously, a very long time ago, but things have not changed since then. Um, but the things that have changed is when I was born, girls were... I'm going to use the word terminated because it's quite a harsh word, but I need to use that. They were, they were terminated in the sense they were killed by being put into plastic bags and suffocated because there was no means of abortions. There were no means of finding out what the sex was. Whereas nowadays you can pay private doctors to tell you what the sex of a child will be and you can take a pill and you're no longer pregnant or, or there can be a private you know, um, op- operation taking place. Yeah. That's, in- that's incredible really because uh, you know, like, like how I was brought up for example, I, I, there was no religion in my life at all and it was only until I went to places like Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff like that, you know, Sierra Leone, where you really see like religion in, in its full sense and how people sort of like live their lives by it uh, and, and the cultures and stuff like that. Uh, like, has that been very much part of that culture for a, lo- a long, long time? Yes, I just call it the real pandemic. Um, it's not the actual religion though, it's a cultural crime, as I call it. Okay. Um, just there is no respect for girls. The girls are just not wanted. They are used in bartering for, you know, they are sold for money often. If you're a poor person, you will sell your child, who, who an older man will marry, um, to get out of the situation you're in, as opposed to selling a boy, because the boy will bring you luck and bring you a family and mm. grandchildren, which is hard for us to understand because we both have daughters. But for people from that culture, that's exactly how they feel. There's just no need for a girl unless... It's um, for a reason along those lines. Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's really quite hard to get your head around. Have you have you ever spoke to anybody who's like gone through that process just to see what their mindset's like that makes them think it's like normal to 
marries like a young girl? Well, it's really difficult because people say to me, you know, what, how have you forgiven everyone in your past? And I say, people only know what they do. So for them, this is their normality. Mm. It's like you having a cup of tea with milk in it, whereas somebody from a different country would never put milk in their tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would find it odd, so they would think that's a really strange thing to do. So when someone's only known a certain way, the problem we have is generational programming um, is so intense. And because they live in extended families, the younger generation or the second generation that's born in this country doesn't really get a say into it because the grandparents are still making the decisions, still very dominating how that child's brought up. Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom sometimes because, like, obviously, like, here in the UK, like, um, sort of everyday, say, Br British culture of people, sort of, like, uh, coming to society. Nowadays, it's all about Xbox, Playstations, and yeah. something other, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas in, like, you just... And, and I guess that that's just a massive distraction for what's really going on, right? Most, most definitely. And, yeah. and like you just said there, like, the, uh, the, the trafficking is, is the real... Pandemic, isn't it? It is, yeah. Like, like, talk, talk to us about like your work along this in this field because, like, it's coming out a lot now. You know, you've got the likes of like Tommy Robinson and the Telford um, stories now yeah. coming out. You've got about all these people in Hollywood and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, your your journey's been quite extensive of like what you've been yeah, covering. Yeah. So when I started, I did a TED talk last year, mm -hmm. um, and I wanted a stage upon to speak to. I didn't necessarily ask for TED, but I just wanted to, to speak. Um, I was trying to overcome guilt, and uh, guilt and shame are two things that always sort of really destroy a person's mentality, I guess. But my father had just come out of prison, he left the prison as a criminal, but he was received as a hero amongst the community. Mm. And what my father had done, he'd taken my sister, he'd forcibly taken her, um, and my sister was six years old, he'd had her out of wedlock, and he'd taken her by force, and sold her to traffickers in India. Sorry, it, well, it gets to me, um, sorry. That's okay. It gets to me because she was six, and I, you know, I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, but nobody stopped him. Mm. You know, he got the lady drunk, the mother drunk. She was at, born out of wedlock. Um, but he went to Poland. He went to Romania. And the security never thought he doesn't look like the child. The child doesn't know him. She, I'm sure she would have cried. Mm. But not once did anybody stop and say, can I just check what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and, and do you think that's like one of the biggest problems is because it's so, <coughs> yeah. it's so vast that people don't, aren't paying attention to it? Because, I mean, as it stands at the minute, we're looking at, was it, 8 million children go missing a year? Yeah, they do. You know, where, where, where do they go? And it's just like... And it, here in the UK is one of the worst places on the planet, isn't it? Well, people don't think that. They always say to me, oh, did your honour killing happen in India? You know, even now, they say, oh, but it didn't happen here, did it? Your sister didn't get abducted here, did she? But yes, everything happened in Leicester, actually, in Loughborough, which is Leicestershire, so the heart of England. Mm. And it does happen. And, and one of the problems is we won't say anything. We would. Mm. But most people won't say anything. They will see an injustice and think somebody else will deal with it. Until it happens to you, mm. and then human nature as it is, and I'm, I'm guilty of that too. It happened to me, it happened to me, then it happened to my sister, so I speak out. Yeah, but and, and that cognitive uh, dissonance, we've seen it literally the last couple of years, haven't we? Like with everything that's been going on, people are just, just like, so, like, it's almost like a, a film that people have over their eyes, it's just 
can't take certain things in, but that this is happening on our doorstep like every single day, yeah. and it's just being blindsided. And it's, I'm glad now people are really starting to pay attention to it because it's actually starting to come out on the media more. It's almost like they're priming people for, you know, for what's to come. Um, but where, where where do you see your work going over the next sort of like six to twelve months? You see like a, an improvement in like the awareness and. Um, the, the amount of like, agencies that maybe get involved in sort of like ramping up like the, the help towards these uh, victims. Yeah, so um, primarily I am an activist speaking against honour killings. I work with different organisations with the human trafficking side. Uh, the organisations I work with work with victims that are now survivors and can't integrate into the system because they feel they don't deserve to be here. Mm. All of their friends and their family became the people that were also trafficked. And it's a really hard transition for them. Mm. Um, but once they are here, they deserve to know that they are allowed to live a normal life, whatever normal may be for them, and not be judged, because there's a huge stigma of being judged. So I'm, I'm doing as much as I can with that side of spreading awareness that you have to watch children, whether they're yours or not, because I feel it's our human right as a, as a person. We're on this earth for a reason. Mm. We should look after everybody else's children as they are our own. Mm. And I do, and I can say that I do. So that if I see something, I will do something about it. But you don't have to go gun-to-ho, you know, and go in and say what's going on and have an argument with the person. Discretion is one of the best things you can do. So have a, make a discreet call, ask a discreet question to the security, try and raise awareness that something doesn't sit right and follow your gut feeling, because your gut feeling is, you know, telling you the mm. truth. You Don't question it. We often question what comes from within but that's actually the right answer normally on the honour killing side I was saying to her I spoke at Scotland Yard yesterday um, I don't know if I can't remember our days but I spoke at Scotland Yard this week and um, it was a day where they remember all of honour killing victims but honour killing victims either don't survive no one even knows they've died and this is one of the things I said that who's going to rep report a missing girl or woman if it's the parents or family that have killed her themselves, mm. no one's going to know she's gone. Exactly. Yeah. So your statistics don't make sense because a lot of these crimes are not reported, a lot of the trafficking isn't reported, so the numbers are all wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the awareness that isn't there. And um, it, I know we talk about like the key word trafficking, but the actual honour killing side of it, people don't even know it exists. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people in the last few weeks just in conversation about us doing this interview and they just have no idea that it was yeah. even, even a thing. Do you think that's because, uh, like in essence, the uh, from a cultural side of it, it is, it is a minority, isn't it, you know, compared to the rest of, like, obviously England? Yeah, um, well, I don't know, because I have messages in my inbox at the moment um, of people that, well, I'll give you an example. Three weeks ago, we helped a girl escape and honour killing. Sorry, my voice is going today. Um, she, was tr she had been beaten. She was from Pakistani background, near Manchester, and um, her parents were forcing her to marry a cousin. She wanted to be a midwife. That's all she wanted, just to be a midwife. So she contacted me on Instagram and said, what can I do? I spoke to her. And I said to her, look, they've beaten you once. They will take you to Pakistan and kill you. So she said, what can I do? So I said, get to a train station, I'll help you to get away. She got to the train station, I sent her the code for a ticket, 
and I got her to somewhere better. I've been speaking to somebody for six months, another girl, um, really upset. Her parents are trying to get her to marry somebody she doesn't want to marry. A little bit older, 20-something. Three days later, three days ago, I find out she'd committed suicide. So no one's going to report half these things as an honour killing, is yeah. my point. Yeah. Um, and if she was taken to Pakistan, she would have either been sold um, for whatever reason. And that is a form of trafficking. Yeah. Is that quite a common thing then for like a, a number of people being taken from UK back? <coughs> it's very common. Yeah. It's, it's the worst place, it's the highest place where honour killings are committed. Really? Yeah. And like, do, do, where, where does the cultural stuff of that lie? Because obviously we've got these documentaries that have just come out from yeah. like Tommy Robinson, for example, about Pakistani yeah. men grooming like large numbers of like, yeah. a thousand girls over a period of time in Telford, for example, that's just one town. Yeah. Like, what, where, 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 what, where's the cultural mindset? Like, what is it that, like, makes them think that's, that's okay? See, I don't think like that, so it's very difficult to ask me, but the way they feel is it's their right. Okay. There's a level of arrogance, there's a level of arrogance. Um, a lot of girls that are killed by their parents are raped by the father or brother or cousin wow. before they kill them. And that, to me, makes no sense either. Incest is very common, but it's just not spoken about. Yeah. So child sexual abuse happens a lot by the father normally, but they won't speak about it because it's a shameful thing and they tell the girl it's her fault. When it happened to me, my father and mother said, well, they wished me dead. And they said, well, who will want you now? And I remember at 14, 15 saying, well, who will want me? Yeah, yeah. And that's when I tried to take an overdose and kill myself. Yeah. So it's that whole mindset they create in that child as well, that you are just a girl, you're unwanted, you're lucky to be here. Mm. Um, so you don't expect anything. You literally have no self-worth, no self-respect. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be honest, I think that's what I love about you more than anything, is that <laughs> like, you've gone from like that being like moulded into like yeah. somebody that's like, oh, you're nothing, you, you know, you're worthless, and then over to a point where, you, you know, that breaking point where you've, Try, you know, done, done an overdose to like now you are London's life coach. Yeah. <laughs> so, do, do you think that, um, like, any, everybody in essence, no matter what they go through, almost needs to, like, uh, or, or almost needs to break it to make it? Yes. It sounds harsh. Yeah. But if I say to somebody, look, if you do this, and I try and help them because I don't want them to go through yeah. the routes I did, um, which were extreme, as you know. They won't listen. Mm. So I think often, I know often that you have to get through that point. I mean, child abuse, I survived that. Depression, poor mental health, I survived that. Uh, Gender-based violence, I survived that. An attempted murder in the form of an honour killing, I survived that. 23 years of domestic violence, I survived that. And then I was homeless six years ago, so I survived that. And I had to get to that point of having nothing but also no one mm. telling me something. And I think that was the key thing. It was just my voice in my head, not somebody else's words, not what I'd been told. And people hold on to what people have told them and how they make them feel, mm. which is why I try and make people feel loved. So if I have an, any interaction with somebody, I'll make sure I have a hug with them and leave them a little bit with that loving feeling so they will take that away with them. Mm. But the way that Asian girls are brought up, African girls, 
and the Middle Eastern girls is we have no love. We are only have we only have fear. You know, it's constant bringing you down. So when I ended up with my children's father, I was already broken in a sense, not just physically. Uh, my bones were broken because they were from the beating, but I was mentally as well broken down. So whoever he was, he could have been anyone. He could have been. I, I was going to say an alien, but it probably would have been a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it could have been anyone. So, I mean, there, there'd be people watching this one who have like, been through their own mental traumas and um, like abuses and stuff like that. And, you know, we've both met like, you know, hundreds of people have been through trauma. But like, uh, in your sort of like late teens, early 20s, like, how did you deal with that? You know, like in terms of relationships and, and, and accepting maybe a person's boyfriend and stuff like that. Because when, when, when I was in Sierra Leone, for example, yeah. and, uh, you know, we focus on doing like a medical mission and there's like one day where uh, it's all about the rape victims from the Blood Diamond Civil War and you can just see how broken these yeah. amazing people are and it's just like their first ever experience of ever being with a, a you know a male that like for some of them was like you know they were like nine some, some of them were like eight yeah. and it's just like and then that, that trauma throughout the whole life and you can you know and having this conversation with it, it was really it was like a really hard day yeah. Like having those conversations. Like how, how do you deal with that in that, uh, in, uh, that age group? Well, I, I didn't know anything was wrong with my life until I got to 14. Okay. I accepted everything that was done to me. All of the child labour. I was literally a modern-day slave. I, you know, Mo Farah coming up recently in the news, I, I really resonated with him. Cause as I said before, at six, mm. I was literally stuck in my room, only called out to, to cook and clean. Um, and I was never spoken to. It was all non-verbal. So I didn't know anything, I just accepted it because as a child you accept whatever your, your surroundings are. But when I got to 14 and I was raped um, by my father and his friends, um, that's when things changed and I became very different as a person. But I didn't have anyone to speak to. And this is one of the things at the police station, the teachers didn't pick up on it. The doctor didn't pick up on it because I'd gone to the doctors after I'd had the abortion. Um, the neighbours didn't pick up on it. People that could have seen something. Because before that time, I was just a normal little girl going to school. Probably a little bit dirtier than others. But, you know, I would go to school and come back and school teachers would see me trying. I was a try-hard, mm. a people-pleaser, trying to always make someone like me. Front of the, you know, row desks, I'd be at the front, not at the back. Then I went into hiding, but no one noticed. Mm. So... I, I, I think that, that that is a major issue that we're seeing right now, like on a daily basis is that people don't notice any of this stuff because you're too busy being distracted or what the media are putting out in front of people whether it's Johnny Depp or, crazy, or like or Ukraine or this or that like well, it's, everything's a massive distraction and it's only until recently that they're starting to actually show people look this is actually a major issue it's a deliberate distraction I agree but I also disagree in the sense that people have been almost taught and programmed not to get involved. Yeah. You know, the whole stigma of speaking out, the stigma of a teacher sort of questioning things, it's almost like it's someone else's problem all the time. Do, do you think about that, that that was the idea behind the whole Madeleine McCann thing? Because obviously like, there was just so much focus on that one girl yeah. and the parents and the police, and it's almost as if, like, this is happening, but the police are dealing with it. So, it's a trend. Yeah. Madeline was a trend. They they created a marketing trend and everyone followed it. Mm. And the reason I say that is 
um, I put a post on my Instagram and I have people on my Instagram mm -hmm. that will put mental health day today because they see somebody else do it for the likes. They don't care about mental health day and I'm going to be honest about it. Mm. I put on endonic killings, you know, the honor killings thing, which means the world to me. It's my passion, my why. No one really followed the trend because there's no trend because people don't want to talk about it. If I put something about trafficking, because I did that as well about my sister, again, nobody really follows it. But if someone's put somebody's gone missing and it's all over social media getting lots of attention, they want to add that on. Yeah, and that yeah. actually is people's mentalities. They don't have their own minds to mm. think, actually, this is something of injustice. We should talk about it. Mm. Yeah. No, no, it does. It makes sense. It's just, like, just funneling people to like, yeah. one space, isn't it? Uh, and like we've seen, obviously, many <coughs> cases over the last couple of years. Um, when, when you first started like really speaking out about this, because obviously you've done like loads and loads of talks, uh, what was your first talk like? So my first talk ever was a TED talk. Um, I had somebody try and break my door down a couple of days before I did it because nobody really wanted me to talk about it from the community. I knew that was, would be a thing. I knew that the community would try and silence me before I actually got the message out. There was such a huge stigma, you have no idea how large it is for me to actually put myself in that position. Um, somebody was following us on the road, my son as well noticed this chap kept turning up. I did I did contact you know the police line and I don't have any faith. They were like, well if he doesn't do anything, the road is a public road, you know, like, yeah. so, isn't it? if you don't have any proof, somebody sent me a ring camera which I was really grateful for. Um, and then I was grabbed on the actual road by somebody who grabbed me by my throat. Um, and I told my best friend, I said to him, look, I'm a bit scared. And he said, oh, what are we going to do? And I rang through to somebody that I'd met online, a lady, and I said, look, can you record my TED talk for me? Because if I die or I'm killed, I want you to do that for me. And I was wholeheartedly believing I would be killed before I got there. But then we decided to go early. And I realised as well the other day that they would have never killed me. And that might sound like I'm full of myself or that I'm being stupid or I'm not being careful but if they kill me I become a martyr mm. if I become a martyr I stand for other people so theoretically fear again like it isn't amongst everything else we talk about fear is the only thing that they actually have that's their playing card and I've taken that fear away mm. and I've replaced it as I keep saying with the suit of a moi a love yeah, yeah, and I know yeah. I'm protected by the higher beings whoever they may be yeah, yeah. because this message has to get out there and, and, and that's that's you like channeling your energy in like an amazing way and even from a negative energy point of view like like how good are you now at just going like yeah that doesn't matter <laughs> well I get so many death threats in my LinkedIn and a few on my Instagram on LinkedIn as well the LinkedIn yeah mm. more LinkedIn than anywhere really? from the Middle East uh -huh. Occasional um, marriage proposal, but you know. Sorry about that. <laughs> I don't really look at them, but um, no. So I don't. Um, I don't let it affect me anymore. I actually know I'm doing something right. And going back to your dating question, because I never really did answer that. I didn't know about those things. I didn't know about dating. I only went on one real date since I've been on this earth. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty good date, but we became best friends in the end. <laughs> and, 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 and how do you see? Uh, that kind of thing now like you know just going out there and are you just open very much yourself open to having you know a relationship with yeah with, I with only man? The, I think what really stopped was somebody triggered me um, he he sort of take it was some, one of my clients actually he, he's um, an ex heavyweight champion of the world and he, he said something about um, 
sex actually. Mm. It's a new cross stick where you've got something that's a block, I don't know what it is. Yeah. And he's one of these people who has everyone drop at his feet, you know, and I was just being very no. Um but he, he triggered something and I said to him, you know you did trigger it, you were actually the one who brought it to the forelight. I never told my children, I never told a soul that I was raped when I was fourteen because it was a secret and there's a lot of people out there that would have these secrets that they keep and they bury and they bury and they almost forget subconsciously they've buried it so deep they forget. Um, because it's so hurtful and so shameful. But, you know, having been that young, I can remember it very clearly, I just choose not to. Um, because the trauma is intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, there were several of my father's friends that were raping me too, and it was... I was just a child. Uh, you know, they were all very drunk. But I, when I did eventually admit it, I found it very hard to tell anyone. And the first person I told was my daughter... Um, and that was because I was trying to get her to understand something mm. during lockdown. I was trying to get her to understand. But having said it, and when you do say it out loud, as bad as it sounds, the other person might be traumatised, but you have this release. But it's almost like that bad energy just literally yeah, flows yeah, straight yeah, yeah. out of you. Yeah. And it gets easier and easier. And then you start to realise that it wasn't even you that made that person do it, which is what we're led to believe. Yeah. You know, domestic violence. The victims often say, well, you know, I, I kind of might have aggravated them. You don't actually make that person. My ex-partner set my pillow on fire when I was asleep. And it took someone to say to me, well, he held the matches, he lit that match and held it to your pillow for a while for that pillow to take that fire. Yeah. So was it you that created that? And sometimes we have to have someone call us out mm. because we, we make excuses for those people that we should hold accountable. Yeah, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. And I think because of the everyday distractions we have in our lifetime are like every single day we need to be called out I think because we're not actually paying attention yeah. to the real thing that matters on a daily basis which is ourselves and trying to become our ourselves so like everything's designed to stop us to do that isn't it yeah. and even like even at the extensive level like a cultural you know level like you, you've experienced it's just like from the minute we're born it's literally like it's literally distraction yeah. distraction yeah. program 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 yeah. isn't it and you know, I, I see it again a lot better. I see it again a lot better now. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. Like, do you, do you see this major issue getting better? Yeah, there are a lot of people out there with non-profits that are helping girls. I say two out of ten are actually doing something. The rest are there for the funding. Mm. Um, and the reason I say this, and I'm very open, you know, I don't care. I just say how I feel. I'm very raw and real. The reason I say that is they've used my pictures, my story, because there's a shock factor to she was raped, she was attacked, she nearly died, she was homeless. There's a lot of shock factors, but they've never once said, do you need anything? How can I help you? Which is the first question I say to people when they contact me, what can I do for you? But there are some good ones out there. So if we've only got two out of ten really fighting for the cause of stopping this, um, deadly disease as I call it, then it's going to take time. Yeah. Um, and also, we, we, it's like the pandemic, you know, a lot of people go along with it because they think they have to, that fear of, I don't want to hurt my grandma, I don't want to yeah, get to... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that whole thing. So they'll go along with it, even though they don't agree with it. Yeah, because they're mirroring. They're, yeah. That's what it is. They're not speaking their truth, are they? Whereas, like, the people that have been quite outspoken about everything that's been going on over, like, not just what you're doing, but just yeah. the last couple of years, are speaking their truth. Whereas, like, the people 
or the, or debating it, yeah. aren't speaking their truth, they're just parroting what somebody else says, or a TV doctor, or exactly. uh, you know, a, a, some, you know, a, a, an elected pr- professor. Um, and, and I guess it's that, like a similar fashion, isn't it, and in terms of like highlighting the real struggles and pains to do with getting people to understand what the whole the, the major issues to do with trafficking. What I would love is for people just to stop sometimes, just to stop. Yeah. When someone speaks to you and they're talking, just stop for a minute and decide what is it you actually really think and yeah. be honest with yourself and only allow that honesty to come forward. Mm. Because often we'll tell people what they want to hear. Mm. We'll tell people what we've heard from somewhere else, from media we've seen. And we don't be, we're not honest. Yeah. No, that, that's something like so many people like just aren't speaking their true father they're coming from a, a place of, uh, of mirroring something else and I think that's because of everything that's put on us whether it's via mobile phones whether it's via you know computers even people's yeah. everyday jobs right you like well we've got this technology so you're expected to like do all this amount of work and then that whole time goes right and that's your time isn't it yeah and like, one, one bit of that time if you've been uh, paying attention to yourself and your feelings and how you actually feel. And that's what we've seen on a mass scale, haven't we? We've seen like a whole army of people not speaking their truth coming from a place of just going with the grain. Well, because... I guarantee you there'll be people watching that are saying, oh, she's really brave. You know, she's spoken up, but they won't speak out themselves about something they should. Yeah. And, and it's not about me. It's about, you know me, there's no ego yeah. here. It's about who I can help because I know how it feels. So I don't want anybody else to feel like I felt. I want to help them yeah. not feel that way. Do you think that's the, the, the key catalyst here is to <coughs> just, just me. drop the ego? Because we've all got one in some yeah. capacity. It doesn't matter how much of a Yoda that somebody is. You've, <coughs> we've all got an ego of some sort. It's just a case of like controlling it um, and just dropping it and then coming from a place of like truth. So if somebody has been through yeah. what you've been through or knows of something or something or someone that's going through it they need to speak they do because it makes other people feel like they're not alone in that um, yeah. but on the same in the same breath if they're if they haven't healed they can't help somebody else at this moment in time yeah and would you say from a healing perspective the best thing to heal is to speak definitely speaking out about things helps as I said to release it from within mm. it's almost trapped um, so when you release that feeling, that energy that you've got within you, it allows it to be free. Yeah, it's um, it's quite remarkable, really, because uh, obviously a lot of viewers and listeners will, you know, are very much into like breathwork meditation and stuff yeah. like that. And when you do a good breathwork session, like you can literally feel your ego coming out of you, can't you? To the point where you get like actually quite emotional. Yeah. Like. Um, so it's, it's just a case of doing that, isn't it? It's just that release, isn't it, of uh, the egotistical thoughts because every bad decision comes from a place of ego, doesn't it? No, definitely. Um, it's always what other people think as well. We still have that, I don't want my wife to think I'm an idiot because I've done this. You know, it's silly things. Uh, oh, I didn't buy the right milk. I don't want to... It is what it is. You've got to start learning to be a bit more accepting of who you are. Mm. I, I said the other day, someone said, what would your perfect job be? And I said, this is why you've got a great job. And I said, no, this is a really good job because I coach UFC fights, MMA fights, boxers, footballs, all sorts. But I said to them, you know what my perfect job would be to be like a post woman. Um, not because I don't, I don't want to actually physically post, I don't want to get bitten by dogs and things. 
But to actually write letters to people, love letters, to give them that love letter so they can see how I see them. Mm. Because once you read that, you actually absorb it. It's not like being told or getting a text. Text is similar, but a natural handwritten love letter. So they can get that letter and how I see you, AJ, if I wrote it all down and you read it, you'll naturally start to feel better about yourself, whoever you may be. And I think the world needs to start seeing themselves from a different perspective as opposed to what they've been told yeah. by the media, by social um, you know, social sites like Instagram, Facebook, yeah. what they should look like, who they should be. Yeah. We're all supposed to look very different. That's our individuality, that's our mm. beauty, that's our charm. But trying to be generic, it takes it away from you. Um, and that's what people start celebrating who they are within. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, you need, people never look within because you're so distracted. Yeah. Like, it's always give, 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 give. You've got like 10, 15, 20 conversations on the go on WhatsApp. <laughs> you know, and it's all... Um, uh, from a coaching perspective, I, I was talking about earlier, weren't we? Like, it's, um, a lot of coaches struggle to like walk their talk as well, yeah. don't they? Because they're constantly giving so much energy out all the time. Um, and uh, to get to the end of the day, and they're just like, mm. just <laughs> so like it's to be coughing yeah, yeah, just like, just like, literally zapped because your energy is taken away from you. Like, um, I mean, you, you've been coaching for quite a while now. Do, do you think everything, like we've talked about, like how you, you've been broken, which has helped make you what you're doing now? Do you think, um, like, transferring that energy onto like clients is, uh, is is like a big part of what you do. Yeah, we talk about baking cakes, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> I was saying that when someone's really down, I'll bake them a cake. Uh, it's just an extension of love. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, with clients, I do get a lot of male clients, admittedly, um, and they just lose their way sometimes. And, and mm. from the outside, it looks like they're the most successful people, wearing the most expensive suits, having the best times of their lives, because that's what Instagram has portrayed. But really, they're having a fight whether they deserve that lifestyle, the self-sabotage. They're also lost of love for the sport they're in. Yeah, or they're being told to do it yeah. because they were told to do that sport by their parents, told told what to do by their coaches, and then suddenly they're questioning, "Do I want to do this? Yeah, Is this yeah. for me?" And and I think you know you've always got to find the right thing for you, whether it's a job, whether it's a partner. Mm. We will stay with partners because the children, but the children are and happy in an environment where they can see both parents are not, they're not together, they're clashing, it's like metal against metal, they don't want to be there themselves. So change always requires some action, as we know. Um, it's not easy, it's never easy to make that change, but there has to be something pushing you against you for you to grow. It's like going to the gym, you have to have that, um, the weights to use, or there has to be something to make you lose weight, but you're going to have to go consecutively to see the results. So the people I coach, I do a three-month thing, I'm a three-month wonder. Um, and I've been really good at touch with up to now, so I, I see, they see some sort of change, but it's getting that person to actually want to be there to start mm. with. They come to you because they need someone. Yeah. Do, do you think that's the key, like, that people, like, they need to make a change, like, for them? Yeah, it's, it's, hard, for to else. it's hard to ask for help, especially if you're a man, it's hard to yeah, say. Yeah. Do you know what, I need help. And that, I think part of that is cultural conditioning, mm. um, community conditioning, family conditioning, what the, what's expected of a man. Mm. You're the father, you've got to bring all the money in, you've got to look after everything, you've got to do the change the tyres, you've got to do this, you know, dad will sort it, mm. or my hubby will sort it. And there's a lot of pressure, so when you need something sometimes and you're feeling a fear of failure almost, it's quite difficult because you want nowhere else to go or to want to talk about it. 
for me personally, from the outside looking in, I find it like absolutely astonishing how everything you went through as a youngster, you know, with your father and uncles and everything else like that, all males, that you yeah. work in the capacity <laughs> that you do, like oh. helping so many males. Like, I, that, I, people will go like, I don't know how you can do it, but like, some part of me goes, I don't know how you can do it, but I know how you can do it because I know you. I don't hold any hatred towards anyone. I said this the other day. I actually love my parents so much. I don't have to love them in a capacity that I'm near them. I can love them from afar. But if I didn't have my parents, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. If they hadn't gone through everything I've gone through, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I super love me. Um, and I can then love you and everyone else around me. Mm. If I wasn't that person and I had missed an experience, I would have a little missing part of my puzzle. Um, I work with these men and, and some young men um, quite happily, but I questioned it. I said, I want to help women, I want to help women. And then I realised that I don't have to look for those women, they will find me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I have to do is find people like me, because I'm standing almost sometimes alone, but if I can find more of me, we're pushing that snowball up the hill faster, so that when it does come down, it'll come down with such a force, we will literally wipe out on killings mm. and human trafficking. Yeah. And do, do you see that, that snowball sort of like coming towards the top of the mountain? Yeah, it might not be in my lifetime, it might be in lifetimes thereafter, but I know that I will start start that ball rolling, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Metaphorically. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I can see it now, and um, like I mentioned before, you know, we're seeing it a lot in the, in the, in the mainstream media more, they start really starting to advocate about it. Uh, and make people aware about it because it is the biggest problem in the world. And it is. What everything it's direct... The largest business in the world, probably. But, One of the largest yeah, businesses. Yeah, yeah. And, and everything actually points back to it, doesn't it? Because even this uh, the whole thing with the pandemic and stuff, you know, like everything to do with this whole shift of wealth, people running it yeah. are very much, you know, their homing missiles are very much aimed in towards. Like the trafficking yeah, side I think stuff. with trafficking, a lot of people shut their eyes and ears. They don't want to know. Yeah. Um, it is very horrific. We know, you know, especially with the satanic side of it, um, the tunnels and everything, and how they're transported. But realistically, we know the tunnels exist. And anybody that questions it makes me laugh because in all of the films, we all knew there was a secret tunnel where um, I don't know, Tristan is Lord, one of my favourite films. They escape from the castle and they can go through the secret tunnel and, oh, I know a tunnel, I'll show you out, you know. So we all know they exist, they are there. And you've got to sort of question yourself, just be realistic, what are they used for now? What have they been used for? Smuggling people in and out. Mm. So, and it's like the nuns in Ireland, you know, sold all of these children. Again, we know about it, but we turn blind eye. We know whatever you hear in the church, how many times has it come up in the church that one of the religious people in the churches have been found fondling young boys, oh dear, oh again, oh god, that's so bad. But do you think religion has almost been used as like a like a cover? Yes, an excuse that, almost yeah, to like give them excuse. that privilege that yeah. they can be in that place. But then politicians again, you know, constantly you hear about politicians having committed something, actors mm. committed something, because anybody with that sense of power feels they can get away with it, where somebody who's then regarded as a paedophile, whereas they are all paedophiles, realistically, is more channelled, and people then turn to, oh, so-and-so lives around the corner, he was caught with child porn on his phone, you know, photos yeah, on his yeah. phone, and that people will start to create a, oh, let's go get him, let's, you know, like, we don't want him on our estate, we want mm. him to move. But the politicians are still there after what they've done, it's been the newspaper, but we excuse it because the media makes us think it's, 
you know what? Dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's just it's all about channeling people's um, <coughs> attention, isn't it? Um, and like you said, there's lots of politicians, there's loads of people of power still doing But what we do need to do then is to say, people need to say on their Instagram, stop putting pictures of how to do your hair and stop putting on pictures about politicians that have done something they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Because that will create a trend then. Mm. Let's, let's us create the trends of what we the messages that are key that we need to get out. Mm. Because the ones that have suffered are still suffering in silence because no one's there for them. Yeah. And, and, and what would, on that, be your, be your message to people who have been through some kind of trauma, who haven't really spoken about it um, to anybody? What would, what would your message be to them? It's difficult because we can't put everyone in one pot. Um, I have been through a lot of different types of trauma, but I will never say to somebody I know exactly how you feel because they are their individual people. Yeah. But on the whole... I would say you are loved. I love you, whoever you are, I do. And I'd love for you to be brave enough to give this gift to yourself of unleashing that, taking it away from yourself because it's destructive. Um, and I, if anybody's struggling, please reach out. I'm, I'm happy to speak to anyone. And where can people find you on the so socials? If you just Google my name, everything comes up. I'm quite lucky I've got a very unusual name. It's Nina, spelled N I N A. Um, and I said it was A O U I L K. Amazing, yeah. And, and you're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram, I'm Nina underscore the Brit. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't say I was an Indian, I was a Brit, I was born here. <laughs> Claim that one. But no, so, but yeah, I'm always there. Uh, my non profit is called endonakillings.org, is what it says on the box. It helps me to save people. I am an international best selling author. It's a self help book called master your life live the life of your dreams and anybody that does buy it, it's not totally expensive but anything that's comes out of that book goes to my non-profit as well amazing i i absolutely love it and uh i love I, I love having you in my life because um <laughs> you know it's actually people like nina um and all the other you know guests and amazing people that you see me talking to that like help me be who i am uh and, and speak my truth and like do what I'm doing with the podcast, you know, so I want to thank you. Thank you. You know, and it's, it's an absolute pleasure to, you know, give the, give another platform for you to, to speak about this, you know, this horrific topic that's, that needs to be shared, that people yeah. need to be aware of uh, and need to start paying attention to and start having conversations about because it needs to end. Yeah, definitely. And I would say if anybody looks me up to watch my TED Talk and if you know anybody works in a school, social care, please, you can try. <laughs> airports definitely just spread that message because if you talk about it we know it's a normality we know it happens and you might be able to help actually save somebody's life yeah absolutely guys and girls if you resonated with today please give it a share that's all you know that's all we're asking you know trying to get this information out there uh, so people understand this is a serious serious issue that needs to be addressed ASAP please go check out Nina's work please check out her book and I'll see you very, very soon, once again, on the AJ Roberts Show. Thank you.